Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people in the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Keith Steffen, a member of the National Association of Litter Carriers. Your support in any amount helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Hi, and I'm Annette Kuhlmann. This week, we'll take a look at the move to expand school vouchers in the state, learn about organizing at a Milwaukee Starbucks, get an update on a lawsuit against Voces, uh, revisit organizing efforts by game co-workers in Middleton, and hear the latest news from UW nurses, share COVID report, and much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. Although not the first coffee chain in Wisconsin fighting for a union, workers at a Starbucks location south of Milwaukee are trying to make their union the company's first in the state. Labor Radio's Sean Hagerup spoke with one of the employees helping to organize. With each passing day, Starbucks Workers United, an affiliate of Workers United and the Service Employees International Union, brings more and more corporate locations into the national campaign for union representation. One of the newest stores joining the push is located on South Howell Avenue in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, just over 10 miles south of Milwaukee. The Oak Creek location, which filed for its election with the National Labor Relations Board last Friday, employs about 30 workers and is now one of 97 stores in 26 states demanding a union. Hannah Fogarty, a barista at the Oak Creek location, says that her and a group of coworkers had been kicking the idea of unionizing around for weeks before reaching out to Starbucks Workers United. It was probably around mid-December that we started just kind of kicking around the idea. And then after Christmas, I think people were starting to get really fed up because we had 17 people, which is over half our store, out with either COVID or being exposed to COVID. Um, And we didn't close, from what I can remember, for even one day. And then it was actually January 2nd. We were, it was just a slow day at work. Our cafe was closed and we got to talking about what was happening in Buffalo. And so I was like, well, on my 30, I'll reach out to Workers United and I'll, I'll send the email. Fogarty has been an employee of the Oak Creek store for about six months and says that she's been given a few raises during her time there. Even then, her hourly rate is still surpassed by the $15 minimum that many stores are demanding as a part of their unionization effort and undercuts Starbucks claims to top tier livable compensation. When I started, the starting wage was $12 an hour, but actually by my first day, it was increased to $12.60. And then since then, there's been another company-wide raise, so we make 13 now. Baristas can't be full-time, at least not at our location. So at first, I was working for 33 hours at 1260, but that wasn't cutting it, so I had to pick up a second job and cut down my hours there. If you work 20 hours, you do qualify for benefits, but Starbucks is in their slow season right now, actually, so I don't know how it looks for other stores, but at our stores, all of our hours have been cut. 
So if I did rely on benefits, my hours have been dipping under 20. According to Fogarty, who is a worker leader helping to coordinate organization between the store and Starbucks Workers United, an overwhelming majority of employees at the store have already signed union cards. Since filing for an election, Fogarty said that their support continues to grow. We've been steadily getting more and more support every day. I think people are still hearing about it. But just yesterday I worked and I had probably three or four people come up to me while I was working on bar and they were like, I saw your picture or I saw Sydney's interview on TV. I'm so excited. One guy came actually and left us a $20 tip with a little note that was like, good luck with the union, hope for the future. So we've definitely been getting a lot of support. We've been getting some support from a couple of our regulars already as well. So yeah, that's been great. Our managers that responded the same way. So Starbucks just came out with a website, essentially just with like some, some basic standard union vesting talking points on it. And our boss has been encouraging people to read that over. So we've been reading it over and laughing at it. And I know some people have been pulled aside for one-on-one conversations. Um, just because I have that second job, I haven't worked yet with our manager, so I haven't personally had my talking to yet, but I'm sure it's coming. The unit demanded voluntary recognition from the company by this Thursday, February 17th. As with the other locations, they had not heard from the company before the deadline passed. The next step in their efforts will be to set a date with the NLRB to decide the parameters for an election. Fogarty says that in the meantime, it is still important for community members to come out and support baristas. To them, I would just say like, Unions are such a good thing. And if they want to support us, you know, don't boycott Starbucks. Don't boycott our store, especially come out and support. Um, We appreciate it. And tip your baristas. You've been listening to the voice of Hannah Fogarty, a worker leader and one of many baristas at the Oak Creek Starbucks fighting for union representation. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. A bill being peddled by Assembly Republicans removes all income eligibility limits for Wisconsin's private school voucher program. Private schools would also be allowed to charge additional tuition above the state payment. If passed into law, public school and disability advocates warn the impact on communities would be devastating. Wisconsin Education Association Council President Peggy Words Olson spoke to Labor Radio's Alan LaLuzerne about WEAC's reaction to the effort to expand vouchers in the state. Supporters of the plan argue that the reason this is needed is there was a flood of calls asking to move out of the public schools due to the pandemic. Is it accurate? The majority of our children in schools are in Wisconsin's public schools. So over 80% of the vouchers that already go out go to children who were already attending a private school or were homeschooled or are new to Wisconsin schools. So most families in the state of Wisconsin choose public schools and they're not interested in this expanded legislation and they're not interested in their hard-earned tax dollars being spent funding private schools. Do voucher schools actually provide outcomes better than our public schools? Well, we know that pouring many more millions into an unaccountable system hasn't improved achievement in the last 30 years. Our voucher schools do nothing to improve student opportunity, nor have they shown improvement in achievement. Largely, the unaccountable 
schools that we're referring to, some of which rest in Milwaukee, but not single-handedly. These are schools that are not held accountable to the same expectations of the public schools, nor do they have a publicly elected school board that has to answer to the way their funds are spent. Overall, how does the voucher program impact Wisconsin's public schools, and how will this expansion impact that funding for our schools? All are siphoning money directly off the top when we talk about the school funding formula. So we know that the voucher program already devastates our local school budgets. So this expansion, Assembly Bill 970, that particular expansion to wealthy families will result in cuts to student programs and opportunities for the majority of children in Wisconsin, those who attend our local public schools. We know that school districts large and small already are footing the bill for hundreds of millions of dollars spent on vouchers, even if there's no voucher school in their district. So reductions totaling millions of dollars are taken out of the local public schools to fund these private schools every year already. This particular expansion we know eliminates those income limits. So really, we would be talking about even the wealthiest of families in the state who would have greater access to this opportunity. As we've talked today, public schools are the only schools that the state constitution requires Wisconsin to fund. So blowing the roof off limits on these taxpayer funding of the private schools is going to jeopardize every single school in our state, from Beloit to Bayfield. What is the union doing to try to stop this voucher plan? We've obviously registered our opposition to this legislation. I will continue to speak broadly to listeners like yours throughout a a number of media outlets and channels. We will continue to organize our members, our education activists, to reach out to their lawmakers to tell them about the support they have for their own public schools. We do have a friend in the governor who recognizes the important work our public schools do. While that's reassuring, I always encourage you and your listeners to really spend that time educating your family, educating your neighbors about the great things that our public schools do, and that unaccountable private and voucher schools, the way they're siphoning money off the top of your hard-earned tax dollars is a problem. It needs to be stopped in Wisconsin. Any final thoughts? So next week is public schools week, February 21st through the 25th. So I always encourage you and and all your listeners to really take that opportunity to celebrate your local public schools. Statistics show that our public schools are doing great things and our public needs to be reminded that those neighborhood schools are truly the heart of their community. That was Peggy Wirtz Olson, president of the Wisconsin Education Association Council. I'm Ellen Lalazern for Labor Radio. People moving out, people moving in. Why? Because of the color of the skin. Run, 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 but you sure can't hide. On February 24th, nurses will again make their case to the public and to the UW Hospitals and Clinics board members. Frank Emsbach has the story. On Thursday, February 24th, UW nurses will be out on the street in front of the UW Hospital emergency entrance calling for safe staffing, quality care, and a union. 
The informational picket is scheduled to coincide with the hospital and clinic's board meeting. Labor Radio spoke with Kim Ravis, a registered nurse at UW Hospital. She had 16 years service and works in a transplant unit. We asked her to describe the purpose of the informational picket. Help the board and um, Dr. Kaplan, our CEO, recognize how important our union is to us and to help them to um, voluntarily recognize our union. The informational picket is calling for safer staffing. Robbins links staffing and union recognition. The primary reason we want our union recognized is because over the last several years, we have seen lean staffing instituted, meaning they have, um, the administration has like decisively reduced staffing and caused us to need to take more care of more patients at a time. The quality of care and the level of nursing staff are linked, Robbins pointed out, and it pointed out that staffing levels are a subject of negotiation, and with the union, staffing labels can be addressed. But there is more to the question of union recognition than wages and working conditions. There is a question of values. The nurses noted they believe that the hospital does not value them. Labor Radio asks, what could the administration do to change that perception? We, we keep coming back to the, to the circling around to, to compensation, where this isn't our primary reason for wanting a union, but it comes down to we, this is what's been happening. So we've noticed that as newer nurses are getting hired, they're getting hired into a lower, a lower compensation um, bracket. So, and I have also heard that even if you transfer, so if I were to transfer to a different, like if I were to like transfer to a clinic or to transfer even like laterally to another department, there's a possibility that I wouldn't, I would get hired into a lower income tier than I am in now, which after 16 years of employment uh, is, blows my mind that they would actually like cut my pay to move into a lateral position. This is, this is, it, it's demeaning to us that they are literally taking away things from us. That was nurse Kim Rabus of SEIU Healthcare Wisconsin discussing the link between increasing quality of care and the unions and what management could do concretely to value nurses. Nurses and supporters will be out in front of the UW emergency entrance on Thursday, February 24th from 4 to 8 p.m. to show their commitment to quality health care and a union. Workers at Raven Software in Middleton continue their fight for a union. Labor Radio brings you this update. On Wednesday, a hearing before the National Labor Relations Board began for the Game Workers Alliance, the Union of Quality Assurance Workers at Raven Software in Middleton, who are organizing with the Communication Workers of America, or CWA. The workers announced their union of the 34 quality assurance workers on January 21st and requested voluntary recognition from management, which was denied. On January 27th, workers filed their petition with the NLRB for an election. The hearing this week with the NLRB is to determine what the terms and procedures of an election would be. Management has not been shy about their opposition to the union campaign, and a key part of their strategy before the NLRB is to argue that an election must involve all of the roughly 300 non-management staff at the company who are involved in making their video games. The Monday after workers announced their union, 
management announced a complete company reorganization that dissolved the quality assurance division into other divisions across the agency. While this company model is used at many other studios, the CWA organizing director, Tom Smith, said, quote, This announcement is nothing more than a tactic to thwart Raven QA workers who are exercising their right to organize. One Raven worker told the Washington Post that, quote, The first few days we were supposed to start the embedded testing model, no one, not even management, knew who we would be directly reporting to. At the NLRB hearing on Wednesday, management's lawyers argued that this new company structure was being implemented and thus needed to be considered in any discussion of what a work unit for union could be. Michelle Gerke, a partner at Reed Smith, representing management, said, quote, The excluded employees share an overwhelming community of interest, end quote, and therefore need to also be included in the unit. The Game Workers Alliance argued instead that quality assurance workers did different work than other employees and did so on different terms, and thus should be considered their own work unit. In their statement on Twitter, the CWA said, quote, Management has presented a dishonest case around Raven QA workers' job descriptions and day-to-day workflow to prevent them from moving forward with their election. Attempting to expand the bargaining unit to be as large as possible is a common employer maneuver in defeating union authorization votes. This was seen last year in the highly publicized union defeat at the Amazon warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama, where the company succeeded in expanding the unit to nearly three times its original size flooding the unit with workers who had not yet been part of the organizing drive and thus were more likely to vote against union representation. The firm representing management at the hearing, Reed Smith, boasts their anti-union and pro-management specialties on their website, which has a PowerPoint called Union Avoidance Tips and Strategies, Do's and Don'ts, that advises employers on how to conduct the counterattack. Gerke, the partner at Reed Smith representing management in the hearing, boasts on her employee profile page for the firm that she, quote, focuses her practice on labor and employment matters on behalf of management, and that she has successfully defended employers in numerous single plaintiff and class action cases involving allegations of harassment, retaliation, and discrimination. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Scott McCullough. And now for an update on an attempt by the Republican-controlled state legislature to go after an immigrant rights organization. Three weeks ago, Labor Radio reported how an investigator in the Republican-controlled Wisconsin State Assembly had issued Voces de la Frontera Action, the mandated political arm of the Milwaukee-based immigrant rights organization Voces de la Frontera, sweeping demands for internal documents. In 2021, the Republican-controlled Wisconsin State Assembly authorized over half a million dollars to pay Michael Gableman to, it said, investigate the results of the 2020 presidential election between Donald Trump and Joseph Biden, an election won by Biden. Here's attorney Richard Sachs, a board member of Voces de la Frontera, describing what looks like good news for Voces this week. The update is, is that Special Counsel Gableman's attorney in our case sent a letter to our attorneys beginning of this week stating that he had no intention of forcing the subpoena and would not issue any additional subpoenas. You know, we consider that a victory. The matter has not yet been totally resolved in the court yet, so the case is not concluded, but it does appear that they've unconditionally surrendered regarding the issues that they've been advancing in terms of trying to investigate this and our activities in the 2020 election. There were different reasons why the Gableman Commission may have withdrawn its request, but they're likely related to the weakness of its position, explains Sachs. 
I don't know exactly. They didn't say why. I would presume because they came to the conclusion that their requests were not supported by law or were unreasonable and decided to fold the tent in terms of this particular aspect of their investigation. The Gableman investigation is still continuing, and now that Vosses de la Frontera has been dragged into the fight, Vosses will continue to oppose that commission's effort to overturn the 2020 election. Sachs had filed a motion for Vosses to intervene on behalf of the Wisconsin Election Commission, itself fighting a Gableman subpoena, and on February 2nd, that motion was granted in Dane County District Court. Sachs says that listeners can also take a stand. We would encourage the listeners to contact public assembly leaders and tell them to stop this shameful investigation into the 2020 elections and their efforts to overturn the validity and the legality of counting electoral votes going for President Biden. That was attorney Richard Sachs explaining how, earlier this week, the so-called Gableman Commission investigators said they would no longer force the subpoena issued last month to the immigrants' rights organization Vosis de la Frontera Action, a legal victory for Vosis. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky. And now here's Carol Weidel with this week's COVID report. COVID-19 cases in Dane County decreased during the 14-day period ending Sunday, February 13th. The number of people hospitalized with COVID in Dane County hospitals also decreased with an average of 111 people hospitalized each day compared to 132 a week ago. Percent positivity was 10%, down from 13% a week ago. Over the past four weeks, cases decreased among all age groups. People under age four and those age 18 to 24 currently have the highest case rate at 106 per 100,000 per day. Young people age eight to 11 have the highest percent positivity at nearly 16%. Children ages five to 11 are the lowest vaccinated group. The Pfizer vaccine is the only appropriate vaccine for that age group. You can find vaccines at the website vaccines.gov. That's vaccines.gov. It gives the nearest location by zip code and vaccine available. On Tuesday at a media briefing, the Centers for Disease Control broadcast information about the protective effect of vaccination during pregnancy. The news provides pregnant women and their families with critical information about COVID-19 vaccines during pregnancy and the effects on young infants. A new study in the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report adds to the growing evidence that the CDC has released on the safety and effectiveness of vaccines during pregnancy. More pregnant women are getting vaccinated. The study released this week measures vaccine effectiveness during pregnancy against COVID-19 hospitalization in infants under six months of age. Dr. Dana Amini Delman spoke about the effectiveness of vaccines during pregnancy. Today's news provides pregnant people and their families with critical information about COVID-19 vaccines during pregnancy and the effects on young infants. A new study in MMWR adds to the growing evidence CDC has released on the safety and effectiveness of these vaccines during pregnancy. To date, what we know about the effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccination during pregnancy has primarily focused on health outcomes for the pregnant person. Data have clearly shown that receiving an mRNA COVID-19 vaccine during pregnancy reduces the risk for infection, severe illness, and death from COVID-19 among people who are pregnant. The vaccination of the mother had a protective effect on babies. Using data from the Overcoming COVID-19 network of 20 children's hospitals across 17 states, From July 2021 
through mid-January of this year, the authors examined the odds of COVID-19 vaccination among mothers whose babies were hospitalized with COVID-19 and compared that with the odds of COVID-19 vaccination among mothers whose babies were hospitalized for other reasons and did not have COVID. The study found that COVID-19 vaccination during pregnancy was 61% protective, meaning that babies less than six months old whose mothers were vaccinated were 61% less likely to be hospitalized with COVID-19. Sources of information for today's story are the Centers for Disease Control and Public Health Madison and Dane County. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. Workers in Madison and Oak, Oak Creek are on the move this week, and there are ways you can get involved. On Saturday, February 19th, Starbucks Workers United invites all supporters of working people to join them in front of the Starbucks at 8880 South Howell Avenue in Oak Creek from 11 a.m. to noon. Join in asking management to sign a statement for fair election principles. Oak Creek is just south of Milwaukee, about an hour and a half drive from Madison. In response to UW administration's recent announcement that it would be ending the campus mask mandate, workers and students on campus are working in solidarity to respond for the safety of all on campus. On Tuesday, February 22nd, from 6 to 7.30 p.m., United faculty and academic staff, the labor union representing UW faculty and academic staff, is organizing an open meeting for all workers and students on campus to brainstorm ideas on ways to protest this decision. All organizations and individuals concerned with the spread of COVID are invited. The meeting will be held on Zoom. Go to United Faculty and Academic Staff on Facebook for details. And on Thursday, February 24th, UW nurses are calling upon community members and elected officials to join them in an informational picket for safe staffing and quality care and the union. The picket will be across the street from the University Bay Drive at UW's emergency room entrance at 6 p.m. I'm Robin G. for Labor Radio. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Annette Kuhlmann. Thanks for editors Frank Emsbeck and Alan Laluzern, assistant Robin G., reporters Greg Giborski, Sean Hagerup, Anna Ham, Scott McCullough, Janine Ramsey, Tony Reeves, Carol Weidel, and Damage Control Specialist Joanne Powell. Thank you uh, as, as well to website coordinator J.J. Meyer, and special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, and to all our readers and the members of the IBEW Local 2304, WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Keith Steffen. We thank all of the generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts.